say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Cutting Edge Authors. We discuss current events and controversial topics. Your radio love doctor is a therapist of the Love Clinic in Newport Beach, California. She was a professor of hematology and lectured cardiologists and emergency room physicians at various locations. She worked in the special chemistry and toxicology at John Hopkins University Graduate School of Public Health. And now, here is the host of Live with the Love Doctor, Dr. Ann Love. And I have with me as my guests, Veronica and Mike Stevens. We're going to take you into the world of sex trafficking as we review and go through some of the nuances of Veronica's books, Boxes of Secrets. You'll find out what her secret is. Roll the clip, please.
we're walking down the road of this whole sexual trafficking lifestyle and how people get involved and and the guests that we have, uh, Veronica and Mike, I I want to bring Veronica in and I'd like for you to tell us a little bit maybe about your history, your your background and um a little bit about your book, Boxes of Secrets, and how you got involved in the in what you do. Well, about seven to eight years ago, I ended up in counseling. My world was absolutely falling to pieces. My marriage was crumbling, um, financial devastation, and that ended up um, placing me on the counselor's couch. And while I was there, it was the first time at age 43 that I began discussing my childhood. Um, having been raised in what everyone would consider the perfect Christian home, my parents were elders in the church and we were pillars in the community. But there were some very dark secrets going on behind those closed doors. And uh, I Part of my coping mechanism is I honestly thought everything that happened to me was normal and that everybody had dirty little secrets. You just push past them and you don't talk about them. But in this life crisis, they all started bubbling to the surface. And so for the first time, I began to talk about how I was violently sexually assaulted when I was four by an extended family member, a victim of a group sexual assault at age five, witnessed my brother's sexual assault at age seven. And then um, we were told by my sister and I both witnessed it. And the perpetrator said if we told our parents that we would be killed. So we witnessed it several more times before we did tell our mom and our mom said she would take care of it which meant that the perpetrator was not coming back to our home it didn't mean that we were going to get any type of support or cycle counseling nothing and so it was about two years later that then my brother would end up becoming my molester and that lasted for the rest of the course that I was in the home um I would say it started when I was 12, and the last time, I believe I was 17, he had stopped for a course of about a year, and I thought, okay, it's finally over, and then one night he came into my room, and I this was the first time that I actually had enough courage to say if he didn't stop, I would scream. He didn't believe me at first, but then he knew I was serious and so he left and that was the last time but regrettably my mom had a complete mental breakdown when I was 13 is when she had her breakdown because her brother was responsible for the death of his two kids so that threw her over the edge and then my mom crossed over to mental illness and she then became my emotional and psychological abuser during those teen years and believe it or not I can consider her my chief source of pain. I mean, considering everything that I had gone through, what she put me through, everything else was purely a cakewalk. And so I, here I am, I'm in my 40s, and I'm discussing this for the first time. And the Lord did give me a four-step process. He, I was absolutely grieving and didn't know why I had to revisit the pain of my past. Um, yeah, that was it was back then, and I just wanted to push forward. I, by this time, I had four kids and was a leader at one of the largest churches in America. I would teach the pastor's wives. And so 
now I'm in this, you know, counseling couch and mad at God, not for what happened to me. Um, I didn't. I knew that the perpetrators needed to be found accountable for their own actions. Um, But I was angry that he didn't just wipe it away, that I actually had to deal with it. And so um, one day I was just flat out on my couch sobbing and saying, this is just too hard. And he gave me a four-step process. And he said, "You, there's four steps. You go from conceal to reveal to deal to heal. And whatever has been concealed has to be revealed. And once it's revealed, you're going to deal with it. And the dealing is going to be flashbacks, night terrors. Um, The physical sensations are going to come back. Um, And, I mean, I went through tremors and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be in this state forever. And then something kind of magical happens when you just keep pushing through and pushing through. I had a wonderful support system. um, And... Then you cross over to the heel. And I did that with every single trauma. It wasn't just this umbrella step. It was every trauma. I had to go from conceal, reveal, to deal, to heal. Um, In the course of that, then my psychologist said, you should write a book. And I had promised myself that I would never tell anybody about my abusive background. There was so much shame linked to it. I'm a leader in the church. And... You know, I mean, by that time, because my mom was so abusive and she had come after a couple of my kids, I had pretty much severed ties with her, um, but not with my brother and not with my sister. And so I just I didn't want to hurt anybody and I didn't want to expose this. But I ended up confronting them all in my counselor's office. He agreed to be the facilitator and they came in. And when I confronted my brother about those years of sexual abuse, um, I was prepared for denial. I was prepared for an outburst of why now? You know, we've kept it secret for all these, you know, many years. Or for true repentance of I am so sorry, but please don't tell the family. Don't tell my wife. I don't, you know, I don't want my kids to know. But what I was met with is somebody who sat there with a smile on their face and was nodding in their head going, yeah, I remember. And it was obviously very fond memories to him and I I just thought oh my gosh how did how did I convince myself for all these years in my adulthood that he was grieving what he had done that he was equal part shame instead he was a sociopath and they were very fond memories to him it was probably the most chilling day of my entire life. And so a week later, um, we had my whole family in. And this is how blind he was to what he had done. Because when I said, you know, will you come back to the counselor's office? And but this time, mom and dad are going to be there. And I hadn't talked to them for two years, bringing my sister in. And he went, yes, does that mean you're going to start talking to mom and dad again? And I went, yeah. And so they came in and what they didn't know is that was my exit. That I was going to confront them all and call my mom out on her abuse, out my brother to my family and say, this is what he did. Mm-hmm. And this is now your mess to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I left that day and I haven't seen them since. And that was, like I said, a good eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I stepped down from ministry. Mm-hmm. I stepped down from my job, from everything off. And I wrote the book. 
and what takes most people about two to three years to write. I powered through in five months, very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And the editor is the one who said, your life is going to dramatically change. Are you ready to get out there and start helping others who've endured what you did? And that's how that was the road that led me to sex trafficking. Now, let me ask you, I want to back up a little bit because, you know, you're, you're, I mean, we could really do a show for three hours, honestly. Um, I want to, you to cover a little bit, I want you to cover a little bit about um, when your brother was coming into your room. Mm-hmm. Because people who haven't had this history, they don't understand the psychological trauma yeah. and the manipulation that goes on with the kid. Well, why didn't she scream? Or, mm-hmm. you know, can you address that a little bit? Because I know the people that you are helping, they have that component that they're living through as well. Well, I was groomed very well by him. Um, and part of the grooming is when the first molestation took place, he brought in equal culpability. So it was, I immediately started owning what was happening to me. Like you're part of it. I'm part of this, that I let him on, that I did something yeah. or another. Shut I don't off. know what it was. Yeah. Um, but you I, were a child. I was a child. I was 12, and I believed him. Yeah. And he did it in such a way that you are the chosen one. You, we have this special relationship. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, having a mom with mental illness, a dad who was present, but not emotionally by Mm -hmm. any means, Mm -hmm. um, a sister who was also had issues of her own. I was completely invisible in the family and being the youngest. And so he came in and he filled a void Mm -hmm. that was, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm Mm -hmm. no longer invisible. Yeah. Um, And so that's what it looked like. And then when it was done the first time, he said, you can't tell anybody because, you know, you're going to get in trouble. And I thought, well, that's the last thing on my to-do list is getting put on restrictions, being outed. And so that was really the hook. Um, Every single time it was, if anyone finds out, it wasn't even like we're both going to get in trouble. It Mm -hmm. was, you are going to get in so much trouble. You are going to get in so much trouble. Mm -hmm. And so I owned it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're in this, um, I call them a a partnership birthed in hell Mm -hmm. where he is my partner in crime Mm -hmm. and I am in this web and I don't know how to get out. There is just been You had already been groomed for it because the sexual abuse that happened early on. Absolutely. And, you know, I like to bring in a little bit, not only the psychological, but there is a uh, susceptibility that's actually spiritual almost. You almost... You're almost programmed to receive this kind of abuse. And a lot of people don't understand that dynamic or how people get out of this and they marry the same kind of person. Right. Because, you know, he, you were already susceptible for your brother's abuse. Because people, you know, people, you cannot compare your situation to a healthy home where everybody right. is you know, healthy and they don't have these things going on because the psychological manipulation is overwhelming. And one of the chapters in in one of my books is called Daddy Love. Now you had the Daddy Love, but it was from your brother. Right. And, and, And the premise of the Daddy Love syndrome is the absent father leaves a void. And, you know, which 
kind of takes us into the sex trafficking a little bit because people, they're longing for something or whatever. And in your case, you just wanted to be loved, which is a basic necessity of life. You weren't asking for sex. You, you really felt, you know, and some people, when they're in your situation, they think, well, everybody does this. This is normal. Well, it was completely normalized in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I want to get back to what you just said about the spiritual component. Yes. Um, If you, I saw this program and have done a lot of researches, I know you're well versed in, is that predators, sexual predators and sexual perpetrators, they will target, they can look at a room full of women Mm -hmm. and room full of girls and they'll go, that one, that one, that one. And all three of them have already experienced some level of abuse and that's the one they go after. That's nothing but demonic. You can't you can't separate out the two. You just can't. The spiritual attraction Mm -hmm. to the re-victimization to kill that soul yeah. is ever present. Yeah. And unless that's addressed and you cross over from being a victim to a survivor, yeah. um, it will it will remain with you for the rest of your life. It yeah. truly will. Now, you bring up a good a point because in my practice, I see people, there may be three daughters and only one is targeted mm-hmm. out of the three. And people don't understand. They go for a certain, um, the, the ones that, are more timid, the ones yes. that um, that may be more quiet, they may be more mm-hmm. reserved or something like that. And, you know, when this, thi- when this thing is going on, the manipulation is sometimes they say, well, I'm going to kill you. They say mm-hmm. bad things. And, you know, one of your boxes of secrets, I was when I read in your book about um, you witnessed um, your brother, mm-hmm. the molestation yeah. with the babysitter. Yeah. So you not only had, because her book is, is called Boxes of Secrets, not only your box, right? but talk a little bit about you were the carrier of the boxes. Yeah, I was definitely the family, I, I was a self-appointed family secret keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we were pillars in the church, yeah. and we had all sorts of crazy going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So behind closed doors, my mom was extremely angry, very sad. Um, and when you said that the out of all three daughters, the one that was mm-hmm. quiet, that was me. Yeah. Um, my sister, she was the oldest, and she was strong. I mean, mm-hmm. she probably came out with her fist clenched. Mm-hmm. And my mom, in some ways, respected her for that. She mm-hmm. respected the strength and would never cross her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why my mom was drawn to me as far as victimizing me is she I reminded her of herself, herself as a yeah. child because she endured uh, unquantifiable abuse in her childhood as well. Mm-hmm. And I think she hated herself for not standing up, for not fighting back. Yeah. And so here's her youngest daughter mm-hmm. who she could do anything to. And my method of operation of coping was to shut down comply. Now, I was a crazy cat outside the home. I acted Mm -hmm. out in my teen years, but when I came home, I was the good little girl um, who could be mowed over, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's by the brother, by the mom. Mm -hmm. She 
viewed it as weakness Mm -hmm. and she would do anything to destroy that. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if I gained any type of success outside the home, whether it was a success in popularity on homecoming, anything like that, she would quickly try to tear it down. Mm -hmm. Um, I was never allowed to be. Was she jealous of you? Did you feel like a resentment or she just didn't protect you? Um, I don't ever think that my mom was jealous. I think she ended up being jealous as I came into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things that I think she was called to do mm-hmm. that she didn't mm-hmm. because she was just rooted in, in her bitterness. Oh, yeah. And so I'm the same bloodline. You know, yeah. I stepped into leadership. I was le- a leader in a church. Now mm-hmm. I'm the founder of Action Force Network. Yeah. I've traveled the world. I work with victims. Yeah. I do corporate seminars and lectures at, at public universities. And it's Something that I think when she started seeing that, that was maybe there was some jealousy in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know her pathology so right, well. Right. right I mean, right. honestly. Well, and many times, you know, there is a dynamic in the home because, you know, I have a lot of my my clients are people who come out of homes where there's incest, sexual abuse, molestation, and rape. And the the family dynamic, the family structure is dysfunctional. I call them functionally dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. They function. Everybody on the outside thinks it's wonderful. And then they come home to their dirty little secrets. Mm-hmm. And um, i like for you to kind of walk us into how did you get into the sexual trafficking end of this, you know, from your childhood abuse mm-hmm. Take a, you know, one thing I do applaud you from stepping down from your position mm-hmm. to heal. Mm-hmm. I went to a pastor's conference when I was in Texas, and the name of the conference was Leading While Bleeding. Oh, that's and, interesting. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> well, I don't want to, because if they're leading while bleeding, I'm going to get bloody. I don't want to get blood, right. you know. And so, but it's this mentality that you just keep pushing through instead of taking time to mm-hmm. deal with. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the pastors, would, we would we'd used to do sexual purity conferences, and a lot of the pastors would, uh, they didn't want that in there because um, they didn't want to make people uncomfortable, you know, because you won't write the check if you're uncomfortable, or I don't want to deal with that. I got secret pornography habits, mm-hmm. which, and I'd like for you to talk a little bit um, on the second segment about how pornography feeds the industry, mm-hmm. and we'll go into the sexual trafficking mm-hmm. um portion of it as well but tell us what led you to these you call them survivors not Mm -hmm. victims right talk to us about that well when I did step down from everything um and I think another reason why that's so important to do is the woman that came into the doctor's office the psychologist's office that first time was not the one who left months later Mm -hmm. I was like in a cocoon my entire life and all of a sudden had come out a butterfly after mm-hmm. the course of that intense, intense therapy. Mm-hmm. So part of stepping back is my relationships all changed. Yeah, I mean, good. I had friends I that n- had to walk away or I had to walk away from. Mm-hmm. Um, my marriage crumbled mm-hmm. as a result of it. Mm-hmm. The dance that he needed to continue to dance with me and the continue the victimization, I now knew that's not, you can't do that. That's not okay. Right. Right. I married somebody who absolutely represented my past. Yeah. And so your life 
takes a paradigm shift. And so my marriage ended. And like I said, when I wrote this book um, and talked to the editor and he said, okay, you, you need to go into the next chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I came kicking and screaming by the way, but after being with that editor for eight hours and then finally just conceding and going, okay, whatever the Lord wants, I'll do. Um, on the, and he packed up his books and he left. He goes, okay, like that was all he came to tell me is walk into that next step. Mm-hmm. And so I agreed that I would somehow help um, other, other people. people who had mm-hmm. gone through what I did. Mm-hmm. And on the way home, I just prayed and went, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Okay. Um, I thought it was going to be a rape crisis center, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it was a Friday night when this happened. And so I waited until Monday to make that phone call. And then I turned on the TV And there was a Christian show on, and they were spotlighting sex trafficking. Wow. First time I'd ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. And they were given statistics like the average sex slave has to service up to 40 men a day. That it's a $32 billion a year industry. The average victim demographic group are 12 to 14-year-old girls. 12-year-old babies. Mm 12-year-old babies. That only 1% once caught up into sex slavery, only 1% are ever rescued. And that the top two death causes once you are trafficked is either murder or suicide. I sat on my sofa and I sobbed. And I mean, it came from the core of my being. And I went, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know where I can connect. But that's what I want to do. do and this program actually highlighted Ethiopia and, and it showed the this barren um, red light district where it's mm-hmm. dirt, fecal infested streets mm-hmm. and these little shanties and these women that had to live in these shanties. And so I Googled the program and mm-hmm. I called corporate headquarters and introduced myself and they happened to be in Missouri. And I said, I'm on the West Coast and I saw your program. And is there any way that I can help you? And I live on the West Coast. And mm-hmm. they said, you know what? Where do you live? And I said, Southern California. And they said, we've been praying for somebody to rise wow. up in Southern California. We get speaking engagements all the time. Wow. Do you know how to do any kind of public speaking or teaching? And I said, I've been doing it for 20 years. Wow. And so that morphed into a position. Yeah. And I had prayed when I saw that that um, TV show the first time. And I went, Lord, whatever it takes, get me down that street. I want to meet those women. And it was a year later, I was walking down that street. And I was able to see the women and go to the safe houses. And my life has been forever changed. And what used to be an international ministry now is very focused on domestic sex slavery. So my primary focus for our organization are American sex slaves. Well, we're going to we're going to have a second segment of this, and we're going to really zoom in um, on those survivors and mm-hmm. uh, what you guys do. And I, I really like to deal with the psychological manipulation. Yes, because on the, at this moment, while this show is airing, there are thousands of twelve-year-old, fourteen-year-old mm-hmm. girls that are being lured into this kind of of industry. And I will tell you. Um, from my end of the spectrum, I was sharing before we started the show about this woman who had had this 
sex trafficking mm-hmm. in a short part of her life. She went on to go to college. She has a worldwide um, firm all over the world. And she didn't tell her husband. And when it all came out, her whole life yeah. crumbled after years and years and years. I mean, she still has the business, the financial part, but her personal life, her kids, everything got turned upside down. So a lot of people, once they come out, is still coming out. Absolutely. You know? It's a lifelong transition. And these perpetrators, these people that do this to these people, it is, I call it a Luciferian initiation. I mean, mm-hmm. they... They input their life, and you are one person, you and your husband, that are giving them their lives back. And um, I'm Dr. Ann Love. This is Live with the Love Doctor. You've been listening to Veronica Stevens, and you're going to hear from Mike Stevens in our second segment. Tune in next week to hear about the boxes of secrets and hear about their organization and how you can help. Thank you. Welcome. You're listening to Love Doctor Radio with Dr. Ann Love. We interview the people that you want to hear, celebrities and cutting-edge authors. We discuss current events and controversial topics. Your radio love doctor is a therapist of the Love Clinic in Newport Beach, California. She was a professor of hematology and lectured cardiologists and emergency room physicians at various locations. She worked in the special chemistry and toxicology at John Hopkins University Graduate School of Public Health. And now, here is the host of Live with the Love Doctor, Dr. Ann Love. me is my guests, Veronica and Mike Stevens. We are going to take you into the world of sex trafficking. This is show two, and uh, Veronica has written a book called Boxes of Secrets, and we're going to walk you through her life a little bit and the lives of people who are involved in this illicit lifestyle of sexual trafficking. Roll the clip, please. Come on, kiss the gun. Guaranteed for fun. Have your shoes get off. Have your bomb been ready to Bye. 
with the love doctor and this is dr ann love and i have with me um veronica and mike stevens and we're talking about the lives of people who've been drawn into the sex sexual trafficking and you gave us a little bit of your story mm-hmm. from on the last show but can you talk to us a little bit talk to the lady that's out there that's vulnerable well regrettably the vulnerability is at a very very young age it's 12 to 14 year old yeah. girls and not the, the lady but the kid the kid the child. they're going the after the child and for the children they typically are fatherless and that doesn't mean that the father's not in the home mm-hmm. it means that the father's absent in their life in some way mm-hmm. um They then will go to the mall, they go to school, and that's actually where these traffickers hang out. And then the trafficker will engage them in conversation, and that's who we call the Romeo pimp. The Romeo pimp will entice with compliments, with gifts, with affection, and draw them into this, what they consider a love relationship. So you take a 12, 13-year-old girl who has this empty love tank, and all of a sudden this person comes in and starts telling them that they're special, that he will take care of them, and you mm-hmm. think, this purse is amazing. Wait until you see the pair of shoes I'm going to get you. Right, right. So they buy them gifts. They buy them gifts. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that this girl is being bought, it's the affection behind the gift. Mm-hmm. And so they do feel like they're entering into this relationship. And here they are, 12. And here's this man, 20. And they're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, how lucky am I? He's hot. He's good looking. And then they'll go ahead and the trafficker will actually, there's two very important tests that he's going to do to vet the girls. And this is absolutely critical because the first test is he's going to come up to that girl in the mall or the park, wherever, and he's going to give you a compliment. Mm -hmm. And how you handle that compliment shows him if he's going to go to the next step. If he says you're beautiful and you duck your head and say, oh, no, I'm not pretty, and you show that insecurity, let the games begin. If you roll your shoulders back and look him dead in the eye and say, thank you, and keep walking, you're not worth it to him. At that point, he's going to find another person. If, however, you do end up in this relationship with him, then second test is if you're a rule breaker 
And so he's actually going to see if you can step over boundaries that are put there by authority. So he'll tell you that he's going to pick you up during the lunch hour at school, and you know it's a closed campus. You're not allowed to leave, mm-hmm. but you do anyways. Mm-hmm. And he'll get you back before the bell rings because he doesn't want to get caught. But now he can tell that the allegiance from your teachers, from your parents, has been switched over to him. And now you are in way over your head because the next rule he's going to ask you to break is to sneak out of your house on a Friday night and he's going to take you to a party. And at that party, nine times out of 10, you're going to get raped and you're going to be turned out in less than a half hour. That first party, they, wow. Yep. It's very important for them to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason being is now it's going to switch into what we call the gorilla pimp. So that one that I just described is what we call the Romeo pimp. It's the one who entices through gifts, affection, and relationship. Mm -hmm. There's also a very violent component to that personality. So once they've been able to ensnare the girl, Mm -hmm. then they cross over to what we call the gorilla pimp. And they only control through threat physical abuse, emotional and psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to immediately overtake that girl within that party situation. And it usually is a gang rape. And so he'll rape her. The boys will take turns. And then they'll tell that girl to pick herself back up, go take a shower because she's going to hit the streets in less than 30 minutes. Now, because the Internet is so pervasive, a lot of times then they'll tell the girls have to take pictures, get their pictures taken. They have to undress and they'll give them, you know, lacy bra and panties and tell them what poses to take. They're up on Backpage.com or all these adult websites in Chicago. They did a... Research and in one 24 hour period of time, there are over 500 backpage.coms for sales of girls in a 24 hour period. And those were new ads. Those weren't what had rolled over the day wow. before. So the girl was sold within 30 minutes. And you're talking children. We're talking the 12 to 17-year-olds. Um, and I've walked the streets here in Orange County. Part of Action Force Network is we team with other organizations that actually do the rescues. So I've been down on the street. Mm-hmm. I have seen these girls. And i got to tell you, your breath is taken out of your lungs the first time you see a 12 year old approaching a car with a man and they're negotiating a deal and if anybody thinks that a a prostitute is out there and it's this mutually beneficial business relationship between the pimp and the prostitute he handles the business side she handles the service side and they split the proceeds she never sees a dime I don't care if you're 30 or if you're 12, you will never see a dime. He takes every penny of it. And if you actually think she's out there under her own fruition, then you're going to have to look me in the eye because I have seen the traffickers and they, the circle, they're keeping an eye on those girls. They are making sure that the girls are approaching the cars. They are making sure the girls aren't approaching us. They are making sure the girls aren't talking to the police. It is an ever watchful eye. And if they were there willingly, why? Why are they stalked? Yeah. 
Well, people don't understand that dynamic. Though. They, they don't. Say, well, you're out there by yourself. Why didn't you run? Why didn't you run? But the, the psychological manipulation or, right. or the threats, I'll kill your mother. Mm-hmm. I'll, I will, you know, I know where you live. And would some of the ones that, you know, I've had, mm-hmm. they've played Russian roulette with them. Yep. They have, you know, they tell them they know everything about them. They're following you. Now, they may not be following them, but psychologically, they're always being watched. And mm-hmm. they're so um, emotionally broken. Mm-hmm from that point on and um so so you know one of the points like i i I do have uh you know a story i was going to show you know something i was going to talk about that movie taken with liam neeson Mm -hmm. because these are little these are little girls that live up the street from you these are not seedy little girls that you know or or young women that are prostitutes by nature, or they grew up and their mother was a prostitute, so this comes right. natural. They take wholesome little girls and they strip their whole identity. Mm-hmm. And when a woman has gone through that, it's not like even when they get rescued, they're not rescued. No. They're just not doing it at the moment. They stop raping their mind and raping their body. You know, now they're raping their whole life because now you have a record. That's right. And now you got this secret. Mm-hmm. So no decent man is going to want you. Um, and then, you know, they introduce the drugs and, mm-hmm. the, and the unhealthy lifestyle. And they think that this is my lot. Mm-hmm. This is it. What do you, what do you say to them when, you, when I'm going to role play? You just picked me up mm-hmm. off the street. I'm 14. My dad wasn't at home. This is somebody that I thought that I loved. And now... He's trying to talk me into doing this whole prostitution. The The problem is, mm-hmm. if she has already been turned out, she's not going to talk to me. And she's not going to talk to the police officer. Because that's part of the brainwashing that happens within the first week, is your family's the enemy, and they never want you back. Yeah. I've taken pictures of you. We have film of you. If you dare go back to them, they're going to see that you are, excuse me, the slut that you really are. They don't want you part of the family. And the police, it's illegal to sell your body. Do you know how much time you're going to serve? And so when you've got the rescuers and you've got the men in blue who come in to help these girls, they fight and they fight because they now have this relationship with their trafficker who says, listen, if you ever get caught, I'll make sure you get out of town. Mm -hmm. They are now the hero. Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? They have beaten them. If they didn't come back with their quota, they were supposed to bring back $1,000 every night. If they didn't bring back that $1,000, they were beaten or forced to sit in an ice water bath for two hours, three hours at a time. They were withheld food until they actually do make their quota. Then they're allowed to eat again. And yet that is who they will run back to time and time again. The the statistic is only 1% are ever rescued. But even of that 1% that actually are able to escape the life, the actual recidivism, so the, the return to the life, anywhere to six to nine times before it ever wow. sticks. And so, so you mean they fall back into it? They'll go right back out to it. Wow. Because it's just what you said. It's not their body that's being raped. It's their mind. Right. 
And they listen in this internal dialogue of what was not just told to them by the traffickers, but by the Johns, by the buyers. And if when I talk to a survivor, they don't have as much disdain for the trafficker. Think of that. They, that's not who they're angry at. They despise. And I mean, they stand up straight and they arch their eyebrows. They hate the Johns. They hate mm-hmm. them. Because they understand if there wasn't an issue of demand, they would have never been sold to begin with. And so they so have they don't all see these. It's the pimp that's the problem. The pimp's not the problem. The it's, buyer is. It's, uh, well. The buyer. And in large measure, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because um, there is a district attorney in California. Her name is Eileen Decker. And they have, you know, and I'm saying this to you people out there that are watching this show on television, um, on um, iTunes or or on the Internet or um, tune in or whatever, whatever way you're hearing this program today. And you think, um, well, um, it's a certain type of people that get into this or they're not innocent. The manipulation in Even I've had people that were kidnapped, that were taken. Um, You don't have to be taken physically to be taken mentally. And, you know, Miss Veronica was talking about these are children. So they're not psychologically equipped to deal with these Machiavellian personality types, which are these male predators that see them as a dollar sign. And you become their money and they beat you. It is sexual slavery. And this is not something that happens in Indonesia, that it happens in Ethiopia, like you shared on the last show. This is happening in America. Mm -hmm. This is happening in your neighborhood. It could happen to your little girl. That's why I like that clip from with Liam Neeson. These are suburban kids who who don't have this that one of the powers that the predator has over these girls is because they don't know that world. They don't realize mm-hmm. how deep the rabbit hole goes. It, it, you know, it's almost like Um, this lifestyle becomes their drug of choice, but they didn't choose it because it's, it's like hard to get out of it because they're, they're not schooled with this dirty, dirty little part of life. Mm -hmm. But once you walk in it, you know, I was, I was sharing with you guys at the beginning of the show, I had a, a lady who had gotten into it for a short part of her life. She was 17, 18 to 20 or something like that. Since then, she had gone to college, got her degree. She has a a fantastic company and everything. She got married, um, felt like, oh, this was a stupid mistake. This Mm -hmm. is not who I am. I wasn't raised this way, so she didn't tell her husband. I mean, how do you tell your husband? How do you tell a man? Well, I told Mike (laughs) Mybass. You can. uh, There are men out there like Mike that embrace the brokenness. You know, understanding that it was because of the brokenness that I am so strong today. Yeah, but you were. I came out molested. Other side, the trafficking. That's a tough one. Somebody who's been prostituted because she didn't have a record. You see, we, in, in this, we have to keep this real for these people because there's somebody out there right now that they're either in this lifestyle or they're looking at this. Maybe they ran away. 
maybe it's a girl that's ran away that's being baited as we speak. They all don't day, know what they're getting ready to alter your life. Yep. You've got to run with everything that is in you. Mm-hmm. You need to get a hold of her website. What is your website? We are at www.actionforcenetwork.com. Yes. And I did want, or I'm sorry, .org. So it's www.actionforcenetwork.org. Yes. Um, the Department of Justice has classified human trafficking as the fastest growing crime in America. California, we have the highest reported rates of human trafficking in our state, so much so that we outnumber the second and third highest state combined in reported cases. We are hotbed. If you go on the National Human Trafficking Resource Center website, which is an amazing website, um, it has the map of the United States, and hotbeds are in red. So you have little red dots here and little red dots there. You get to Southern California, we're a big red blob. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, the girls are absolutely at risk in Southern California, they're at risk. There is no demographic group across the country. That's right. This is a clarion call, yes. which is why we got into, we formulated our um, nonprofit mm-hmm. because we recognized we're not going to be able to arrest this away. We're not going to be able to legislate this away. Mm-hmm. We have to educate it away. Yes. We have to prevent it before it ever happens. Yes. We are yes. trying to get into the middle schools. We yeah. are getting into the high schools, into the universities, yes. and letting them know this is what it looks like. It doesn't look like what you think. Yeah. And bring in that education because this is not a women's right issue. This is not a denigration of men issue. This is a societal issue. It's American issue. This is a societal thing. It's a crime that it doesn't seem to matter that it's illegal. We turn our eyes away from it. We think, oh, they're two consenting adults. Mm -hmm. They are not two consenting adults. It's that's not what it is. And well, I don't care if she's thirty. If she's owned by a trafficker. It's non-consensual. It's, it's called sexual slavery. slavery. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, Mike, um, we want to bring you in on this uh, a little bit. This is a very passionate subject, you can tell. Um, both Veronica and myself as a therapist, this is it's devastating to people's lives. And um, the people, it's a lifelong trauma. It doesn't just stop when they're rescued. And you said only 1% are rescued. 1%. And also there's a video clip we're going to play at the end of our of our uh, show today um, with Eileen Decker, the uh, attorney, district attorney for California. She's over 19 million people, and she's taking this issue on, this human trafficking issue. And one of the things that we want to alert people to somebody you're out there you're being conned by this person you've been roped in and you're considering this or maybe you've already jumped over you need to run with everything in you because i'm gonna tell you something the the gangs are also doing it they were talking about content yes this is it used to be drugs were the number one money maker Mm -hmm. for gangs and Mm -hmm. in la right now the selling of girls is their top priority it's the number one making money making so it used to be drugs weapons humans as the illegal 
bought and sold commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, humans surpassed the weapons. And in L.A., in the gangs, humans have surpassed the drug trade. Because drugs, you have to replenish your supply. Yeah. A girl, you can sell She's over and over there. and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and even the thing that was coming up for me, too, like in Compton, okay, if you live in that kind of inner city mm-hmm. environment, mm-hmm. Fear is all around you. Right. I mean, gangs—they kill you. I mean, they—they right. they will torture you. They will do horrible things to you. So, these girls are not. A, a lot of times, the, the important thing is that people are not just deciding this is my job of choice and this is what I want to do. It's not the job of choice. And I want—I applaud you, Mike. I want to come back to you. Tell me about your role in in the organization and. You know, I just applaud you for standing. You're being the man with the woman. <laughs> well, thank you. Let me uh, let me say thank you to you, actually, because uh, it's through these types of programs uh, where we education is incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, because it is a societal issue, and very few people really understand the magnitude of what's going on until we bring this out in the open and and really sit down and have a discussion around the table. Uh, it's not going to get solved. So mm-hmm. uh, hats off to uh, to you yeah. for, for bringing this forward. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, my role. I, I support this beautiful lady. She's a uh, tremendous woman, and uh, she is passionate about what she does. Yeah. And um, I, I love everything about her. She's fantastic. And anything I can do to help, I certainly do that. And uh, Reaction Force Network, I mean, we went through like uh, as a, uh, almost like a business, a nonprofit, understanding you know where we're going to play where we'll have impact and and sadly the the fact that you know only one percent get help or the recovery process is so long it's so uh in depth to 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 bring up we really had to sit around the table and say look you know what we got to educate people we got to yeah. like she said we have yeah. to stop this before it happens yeah and yeah. it's amazing because i guess I'll, I'll take the male perspective uh, as i got involved with the program and and went through the research uh, I mean, I was amazed. I mm-hmm. mean, it really, it was sickening um, to see the things that were happening. Uh, a typical male view. I guess you, you just don't understand the prostitution, what, what it's really about, because mm-hmm. you tend to think, it is. Oh, it's mutual. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we get that. And what, mm-hmm. what goes on in Vegas stays in, in Vegas. Vegas yeah. right? You really don't understand it. If, if that's your perception, if you're the, the male out there, mm-hmm. and, and that's your perception, I invite you to take a little bit of time Look into the subject. You got a daughter. Yeah. And if you saw the things that went on, uh, you're not going to want your daughter in that position, yeah. obviously. I like the position that you guys take about education. When I was a little girl, I went to private schools, and they I was in second grade or third grade, and they brought in this drug program, and they had all of the different drugs. These are the reds. These are the upsies and downsies or whatever they were called at the time. And they said, this is the way they make you feel, and this is the outcome. And they showed you people who were addicted to those drugs. Well, I grew up in Chicago, and everybody was smoking or doing something. I didn't drink. I didn't take a drug because I was educated. In second or third grade, drugs was never an enticement for me because I saw the bottom line, and I was like, no, I don't want to sign on that check. So what you guys are saying is kind of like the same thing. Let's get these kids babies informed so they can be empowered so they can make the decision because no crackhead says well I think I'll grow up and be a crackhead well in like manner 
uh, somebody who's been a, a, a person who's gone through human trafficking doesn't wake up and say, I think I'll be a prostitute today. Right. So um, I want to close this show, but I want to you guys to log into their website, call our clinic line, um, the loveclinic.org, or their website. Uh, we're going to post it up. Um, but I want you guys to, to we're going to close it out with Eileen Decker's comments. And we want to roll that clip because it's very, very important to see that law enforcement is now taking this very seriously. The pimps and the traffickers to be able to get them the maximum time, hold them accountable for the crimes that they're committing. And then the other part is the John, the demand side, to be able to make enough of a disincentive available so that nobody wants to get involved in this. And that means going after people for statutory rape uh, and child molestation rather than a citation for soliciting prostitution, as was done in the past. Is this organized crime? Um, it is at a certain level. Gangs have gotten more involved. Uh, they work together to conceal what is going on uh, so that their business, this criminal enterprise, can continue. And that's part of our strategy is that we want to take out these organizations on an organized crime level. If we can charge RICO prosecutions, conspiracy, take out the organizational structure so that we can eliminate this in the community. Now, these girls are being imported across the border, correct? Not always. I mean, people don't recognize that many of these young girls and women uh, come from our own communities, and we don't even recognize it. How do you recognize it? Well, we, you need to employ the public, right? obviously. Absolutely. How do you do that? Well, you know, we're educating people on what it is. The average age of a girl in California to get involved is 12 years old. This is horrific stuff going on. Uh, the gang members are involved because there's so much money in it, and it's relatively below the radar. Somebody gets on the Internet and says, I'm looking for a 12-year-old. They get connected to a gang member by cell phone, and it's not real visible. What the public can look for is uh, abandoned houses being used for this purpose, RVs parked on the side of the road, uh, motels, hotels. There's traffic going in and out of there all the time. If they have a question, if they have a concern, call us. They're not bothering us. We want to go out there. Ultimately, they may be responsible for saving a young girl or boy's life. And I would add only it's not just sex trafficking, it's labor trafficking as well, uh, where people uh, they're being put into forced labor situations. Many of the same signs that the sheriff outlined is what people should be looking Modern for. Modern day slavery. Right. Absolutely. Let's move on to one other thing because we have a few minutes left. You've also, uh, the city of Compton, which your agency is responsible for uh, policing, uh, was one of just four cities to receive a grant uh, to, and I've the, the title is Violence Reduction Network. Uh, Two-year proposal sounds very bureaucratic. What is the goal there? The goal there is, as the title says, reduce violence in Compton. Compton. How do you do that? Well, what we're going to do is a collaborative approach. Again, state, federal, local law enforcement coming together, but it's not just a suppression issue. We're not just going to go in and start prosecuting more people and arresting more people. We want to bring the community in. Um, have increased training in, in the community, increase the collaboration. Now, you've been watching um, Eileen Decker talk about the legal aspects, and this is, this is a global phenomenon. We're dealing with it in our neck of the woods because um, this is what we want to do. Now, there's another aspect of this, and it's the portal that opens the door to this long, dirty, dark road that once a person enters it, it's a lifelong recovery. And that is the pornography. And I want to ask you, Veronica, mm -hmm. to please talk about 
that whole end and how these girls get in this lifestyle and what role the pornography plays. Pornography, honestly, um, yes, it is the portal. It is the gateway. I had just saw a research paper where the average age of a male being exposed to pornography for the first time in our country is anywhere from 8 to 12 years old. Now, think about that. that the very first relationship he's going to have with a woman sexually is going to be on a computer screen. And because about 80% to 85% of all pornography shows violence against women, this is his indoctrination of sexuality, of intimate sex acts. There's no love. There's no relationship. And these boys who are being groomed by the industry to be perpetrators, and it is more addictive than heroin. So now we have eight and 12 year old boys looped out on porn, and then the porn has to escalate. And so they're going to take our 16 year old daughter out on a date. And they're 16. What we have created in this sexualized society that we are now living in is such an abomination to the innocence of this younger generation. They didn't sign up for this. They are 12-year-old pioneers in social media. This is the most difficult age to parent. It is the most difficult age because a girl knows that in order for her to get enough likes on Facebook or enough followers on Instagram or Twitter, she's going to have to show a little cleavage. And if she doesn't, then she's not going to get those likes. Her self-esteem is going to plummet. And as a parent, you're thinking, what do I want less for my child? The fact that she is a social outcast, doesn't have any friends, or two, that she's kind of succumbing to the sexualization and becoming a commodity. Listen, we're all in over our heads. We are. Uh, that's why we have to discuss it, and we have to be, bring this dialogue into the classrooms and say, listen, I understand. This is horrifying. But let's talk about the pornography. Because one survivor uh, asked this John after he had beaten her up during the sex act of why. Why? You're married. Why don't you just go home to your wife? He said, because the images and the things that I see on porn, I would never do with a real woman. Wow. What was she? Wow. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's it horrifying. It's not a victimless crime. But one of the things that um, we need to deal with here also, too, when you when you talk about the pornography and you talk about every um, serial rapist. Mm -hmm. They right. all are addicted to porn. So it grows in the dynamic. They start off watching porn, and it grows to walking out and acting out of those fantasies. And, and this is across the board. If you research sexual predators or, or serial rapists, they all entered into that domain of pornography. Ted Bundy, yeah. gave his last interview before he was executed, mm -hmm. talked about pornography. He was raised in this wonderful Christian home with loving parents and he began to watch porn and it just escalated to where he said it wasn't enough to see the images he had to act out on it mm -hmm. he took accountability at the end but he most certainly said that was the catalyst to me becoming a violent uh, serial rapist oh it's horrible and, and murderer you know the other thing that comes up for me is is um 
molestation, when a child is molested at a younger age, their identity shifts Mm -hmm. and they play out that that role, which makes them susceptible to play those roles in pornography. When if your first sexual encounter is somebody touching you and everything, and especially if that's not corrected, is if there's no reprimand to that person and you constantly have to interact with them, what gets communicated in that child's brain is, is this is okay mm-hmm. and this is the way life is and I'm going to be good at it. And, you know, and people Absolutely. learn to, and what, you know, what I'm dealing with now with a lot of my clients is the kids are sexing. They're sending naked body parts mm-hmm. to the boyfriend. They want to be most popular and how they, that's poor. It's mm-hmm. child pornography. Mm-hmm. So we are are doing this show because people who are watching, if you're about to make that decision, you need to log on to their website. You need to research this stuff out. This is a story that you can recover from it, but it's even better not to go down that road. But if you're a victim, if you're in it right now, if you're struggling with it, if somebody's taking your virginity or somebody's done things to you and you're thinking, wait a minute, I've got to be worth more than this. You're in your life. You're not a piece of trash and you need to get on that website. There are people who are here for you. We are here for you. And we're not going to let you go down that too. We're going to do whatever humanly possible to get you help. We are here from you for you. I am Dr. Ann Love. You're live with the Love Doctor. You've been with my guests, Veronica and Mike Stevens. And the name of your um, organization is? Action Force Network. Action for, ActionForceNetwork.org. Yes. That's go online. Look them up. We are here for you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.